Welcome to another episode of Ladies That UX podcast. I'm Teresa Lux, Global Director at Ladies That UX. And I am Veronica Litmanovich, leader of Ladies That UX Buenos Aires. Emma is an exceptional design leader with over two decades of experience in industry. As an accomplished speaker, mentor, and author, she has penned the best-selling book Beyond the Logo. It has an upcoming release, Design Up. Emma's journey began with running a successful design agency in the UK, where her entrepreneurial spirit led her to be shortlisted for Entrepreneur of the Year 2011. Eventually, she was drowned in the sun and sea of Brisbane, where she joined ThoughtWorks and rose through the hang to become a principal experience design consultant. As a passionate design advocate, Emma worked tirelessly to help organizations enhance their design maturity and create a total brand experience. Through her branding, visual, and experience design skills, she integrates a human-centric approach to problem-solving with cross-functional agile teams. I am so glad she is here for this conversation. Shall we meet her? This episode is sponsored by Deploy.me, specialists in recruiting UI UX designers. Welcome to the latest UX in English podcast, a friendly, welcoming and collaborative organization of intelligent and curious women who push UX boundaries, develop skills and promote talent by supporting each other. Welcome, Emma. Thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me and thanks for such a great introduction. It makes me sound like I know what I'm actually talking about. <laughs> Emma, you had an impressive career in design industry. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? What led you to become a design leader? Okay, well, it's quite a long journey. I'll try and keep it short. So I grew up in the UK and art was always a thing for me. That's what I wanted to do with my career. So I spent my years at school studying every area of design and my sixth form years I was just hanging out in the art department at school but I was really lucky with the school that I went to because back in the day it was quite a few years ago it was very unusual for schools in the UK at the time to do all areas of design most of them would just do that fine art at school but I was actually lucky that the school did graphic design fine art 3d and sculpture and woodwork so I actually did all of those subjects from the age of 15 so I've been doing design for a very long time and my mum kind of always encouraged me to follow my dreams and but not only follow my dreams but also think about how I could be independent and actually support myself so whatever career I took with design she's like well you need to make sure you've got an income coming in as well so that you can support yourself because before I discovered graphic design I really wanted to do fine art and one of my mum's friends was an artist my mum said well that's great that you want to do that but you know maybe you need to consider about how whatever job you might need to support that so they can actually earn some money but then later on in school I discovered graphic design and just absolutely fell in love with it. One of my teachers was really into contemporary graphic design. So I was actually the first student at the school to take a contemporary approach with graphic design. So that was me at school. I, that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to go on to art college. But to get into art college, you needed English and maths grades to be able to get in there. And I was told that I was going to fail my English exam. My maths wasn't that great either, which is pretty normal for, for designers. <laughs> so I worked really hard, got the results. And then I went on to Cheltenham Art College, which is where I had the best time of my life. So it was a whole year doing what we called back then as a foundation in design. So you did everything from printmaking to sculpture to photography, did everything. But it was always graphic design for me. And then I went on to what was then called the Arts, um, the Arts Institute in Bournemouth, uh, which was my mum actually spent, I think it was over a summer, like driving me all over the country in the UK, looking at all the different graphic design courses at all the different universities so I could find the right one for me. Um, and I found 
time at Bournemouth, just kind of, that was me. When I got there, I was like, that's what I want to do. That's the style of graphics that I love. So anyway, I did that. And then when I left university, I left you completely the wrong time. It was just as the dot-com had hit. And I always said, if I was born a year earlier, I could have walked out of university and gone straight into like one of the top design agencies in London. But at the time, the whole industry was just collapsing. So it was really hard to get a job when I first left uni. And also on top of that, a lot of agencies didn't really understand my portfolio because I loved everything in the design industry. So I loved web design. I mean, it was pretty early back then. It was flash was just coming in. That's how old I am. Print design. I loved doing physical products. I liked looking at the future and predicting what was going to happen in 15 years time and looking at what kind of smart devices are we going to have? Not that we referred to them as that. So I guess, yeah, I always wanted to work in a variety of different mediums. And then I found some smaller agencies that I worked with where I was allowed to do a variety of different areas of design. And interestingly, I was actually speaking to Giles uh, Peter Nicol. He's the director of design at Spotify the other week. I was talking to him and he was actually saying that what he thinks makes the best design leaders are actually those who are happy to play in those various different spaces. So that made me feel really good that I still like playing in all those different areas. So, uh, so it was good to actually hear somebody else kind of share the same things as me where I just love looking at all sorts of areas of design. So that's kind of how I my kind of first bit of my career and then got my first break with a, some small design agency and then I freelanced at various agencies across London. And then my boyfriend at the time, now husband, his job moved to France. So I actually ended up spending, and at that time, our friends moved to Australia. So when a group of our friends moved to Australia, so I actually spent most of my time driving between the UK and France back and forth, driving so much between the two countries and working for both countries as a freelancer that the border control in France actually knew me by first name. I'd drive up and they go, hi, Emma. Well, they go, say, bonjour, Emma, and uh, off I'd go through. So um, then what led me to set up my own agency was, well, I was traveling back and forth between the countries. I was going through recruitment agencies and trying to find a job. And I was going for what I thought was a freelance role with Jack Wills, who a well-known clothing brand. Jack Wills thought they'd been told by the recruiter that I was a full-time employee. So we both went along, had a meeting and chatted and they seemed to really like me and I really liked them. And then when they phoned me, they said, oh yeah, we've got the job. We want you to start tomorrow. So you do know that I live in France. So we had a discussion and decided that I would just freelance for them. So while I did all of their catalogs and branding with them, I was mostly doing that in France and traveling back and forth. And then the agreement was that I was going to go and work for them full time once I moved back from France. But I decided that in my heart, I didn't want to do that. I just can't go and work out. I want my own thing. So I went and sat down with the owner of Jack Wills and convinced him to be my first client. Um, And he agreed. So that's when I set up my own company and Jack Wills was my first client. And then it just kind of went on from there and grew it that way. And having a company taught me a huge amount about business. I was 25 at the time. So it really taught me how to sell design and understand that a lot of people didn't really understand what we did. And so, so it taught me a lot of things. And I met some amazing people, amazing clients through that journey. And then I met one of my clients was Simon Dixon. So he founded a company called Bank to the Future. So it's an online investment platform. So this was like back in the day before crypto was even a thing. And I was talking to him about his branding work and what a brand means and how you then translate that across the total brand experience. And and he said, oh, you should put all of this in a book. 
I was like, why? He said, oh, people like me want to know that information. So it was actually because of Simon that I wrote my first book. As he said, business people want to know what's in your head. So that's how the first book came around. And then our friends who'd moved to Australia, we came out to visit them and they sold us on that whole lifestyle. And then we eventually moved to Australia and I freelanced the Sapient Nitro and then I got headhunted by ThoughtWorks. So they contacted me, met up with them. Then I had this moment in my career where as a crossroads, I had to decide, do I want my own agency again and to set that up in Australia or do I want to go and work for a big global software consultancy? And I had a client who, they were a really big client in the travel industry. They were going to give me enough money to set up my own company and be a first really big client. But then on the other hand, I had this offer from ThoughtWorks. So I sat down and then I went for a walk and decided, you know, what, what excites me the most? And I thought, I've already had my own company. I want to do something different. I haven't worked for a big global software consultancy. I'm going to go and do that, see where that takes me. So that's what I did. And, and when I joined ThoughtWorks, I discovered that there was a lot of clients who didn't understand design and how to create those great interfaces, those great experiences, customers. I was working with developers who'd never worked with designers. So I ended up doing a lot of leadership inside the company and with clients to kind of grow their design maturity. And then through the eight years of being at ThoughtWorks, I just took those clients on the journey, took the development team on the journey of design and working with cross-functional teams and just building things from there. So, and always ensuring that every opportunity I had, I could tell people about design and how it would actually change their organization. So that's, that's like my career. <laughs> Thank you. That's such an inspiring journey. Your upcoming book, Design Up, actually explores the concept of design leadership. So can you elaborate a little bit more on what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, so my mum kept asking me, when are you going to write your next book? I said, oh, well, I need to find the thing to write about. I need something that I'm passionate about. And I studied through the process of interviewing designers at ThoughtWorks and also mentoring designers. I could see that a lot of them really struggled with the consulting side and they really struggled with how to sell design and how to be confident with what they're doing, how to kind of lead inside an interview. So I found a lot of people really struggled with that. They were great at the craft, but they all weren't always very good at leading and they weren't always very good at leading clients in the right direction. So a lot of them really struggled to kind of get their voice heard, especially in an agile delivery team where the designers are ignoring the minority. And they also found it hard to, a lot of the people I was mentoring found it really hard to convince product owners and execs on their suggestions, why they should go ahead with their suggestions and what the value was. So from that, I thought, well, actually, a lot of the people I was mentoring, I could see that they started doing really well from the stuff I was saying to them. And a lot of people just started coming to me and asking for information so I thought maybe that's what my next book should be about is around design leadership and how as a designer you can survive inside a tech organization and how can you change that leadership and get people to understand the value of design so that's where it came from. Great it's an amazing story I'm intrigued by the title of your book Design Up could you share the significance behind the title and how it encapsulates the sense of a message? Well my book's been in the process for quite a few years and I can't remember exactly how I came to the title <laughs> but I wanted to something short and memorable and I also wanted something that would look really striking on the front of a cover because I've got a visual design background so I wanted something that I could use that typographical element and make it really bold and then I came up with designed up because it's all around you as being a designer kind of taking that next step up as a designer so you're becoming designed up as a designer um, however the subtitle which is a designer's guide on how to lead inside the tech industry that actually we took more of an agile approach so that actually went through various iterations and then in the true UX 
Style, I actually sent out a survey to the designers across ThoughtWorks who had designers globally. And I asked them for their feedback on which ones they liked and got them to vote or got them to suggest better options. So that actually came from a collaboration of designers globally <laughs> to create that subtitle. So I got feedback from my users. Amazing. So the person that will listen to this episode later, please give their feedbacks. As readers dive into Design Up, what are the three case takeaways or principles that you hope they will grasp? There's quite a few things in the book and I've had to narrow things down because there's so much advice I could give in there. But uh, firstly, it's actually about show by doing. So people understand things better once they've actually experienced it firsthand. So take people along that journey, whether it's execs or developers on your team, QAs, whoever it is, make sure, get them involved so they have that firsthand experience and then they'll understand a lot more about what you're doing and the value you're adding and then secondly if you see an opportunity where you can sell the value of design or you can see that there's a problem that you can solve as a designer take it ask for forgiveness later so just take that opportunity and where you see gaps just go for it and then finally work to your strengths and this is actually advice I was given by one of my coaches she said work to your strengths because if you try and work to everything then you're just going to be weak in every area so work towards your strengths because at the end of the day you can't be a unit You're also adding to that you don't want to become the worst version of yourself either, so work towards your strengths. Thank you. Yeah, in your book, you also discuss the importance of collaboration between design and agile delivery. So maybe you can elaborate a little bit on how organizations can effectively integrate design into an iterative and agile process, how they can navigate the different roles capabilities within the design field. And I think with that, every organization is different and how you approach it will change especially depending on where the organization is in their growth as well so a startup versus a scale-up versus a large global organization all of those approaches will be have to be taken slightly differently but when you look purely just at designs and developers we're very similar we both like to experiment we both like to solve problems but we come in with different lenses so designers see things from a user's perspective and a lot of the developers I've worked with do think from that side of, of things as well when they're trying to solve problems but they'll also view it from a technical perspective and some developers I've worked with will see it purely from a technical perspective but not from the user so by having designs and developers together means that you can bring both of those lenses together and it means you can experiment together and come up with better ideas so together designs and developers together are actually far more powerful and I think that's what a lot of companies misunderstand they'll either do the design and then bring the dev in or they'll bring designers in too late and I see that so often in large organizations through small organizations. They just don't have design and developers working together early enough. So my advice is that you need to have designers and developers at the beginning for those initial conversations. And then what you'll find is that things will be or prevent problems further downstream. And also having developers involved earlier on, they know what's possible with the tech. And they also know what the latest things are sometimes that a designer won't. And they can bring those ideas into that conversation. And the same with a designer as well. They can bring some of the new ideas ideas in so together that works got to work together and so it's about having them at the beginning in the conversation and in the same room having the conversation taking a long time in terms of how companies can understand the different roles um, it's taken a long time for companies to understand what design can really offer and how and now they actually need to understand all those varying different roles and the design industry haven't really helped there because we come up with so many different job titles that it's confusing to designers sometimes as to who's doing 
doing what role. Now that we've got organisations to understand that design is important, we've now confused things by having all these different job titles and adding more and more job titles to there. So what we need to do is help try and explain that to them and explain what those strengths are and what the gaps are that are missing inside the organisation. And a lot of organisations still see design as more visual and interactive. They don't, and they don't always understand the importance of research or why all of that needs to be put together. So with all of those job titles and explaining the capabilities of design, you've got to bring it back to their world and in their language they can understand. So how is this design role going to reduce waste inside the business? How is this role going to make the workflow better across the organisation? How this design role is going to improve the experience in the product and then what impact is that going to have on sales, for example? So helping them understand what each of the design disciplines and areas can actually help solve um, areas of the business as well. So bring it back to a business context and then they'll understand it a lot more because they haven't come from our world. So that's my advice. In Design Up, do you provide practical examples or case studies that illustrate how organizations have successfully integrated design into agile process and how readers can apply these learnings to their own organizations? With the book, I've actually gone out and interviewed people across some of the large tech consultancies, business consultancies, and I found design leaders in all of those areas and I brought their perspective in. But then what I've also done is I've gone out and spoken to tech leaders inside organizations as well, so CTOs to get their view on design and how that has worked inside their organization, problems that they've seen inside their organization, how they solve those problems. So throughout the whole book, it's got case studies, not just from myself, but it's got stories from other tech and design leaders on what they've done inside their organizations, because what fits for one won't fit for all. So readers could go through and they can actually listen to some of the success stories, but also some of the horror stories <laughs> that I've experienced and how I've handled those through that process. But I think definitely we're working in the cross-functional team, which a lot of people do, and openly talking about what is working and what is not. And I think that's really important inside a team is to go, well, actually this, what works for one team won't necessarily work for another team. So recognizing those issues and then being okay with experimenting with it, saying, well, actually this isn't working with this team. So let's try this for a few months and see if it changes things. And then we'll come back and, and see if that approach has changed. And again, as a business changes, that grows, then those processes might have to change as well. We have been mentioning a lot the role design leader and I was wondering in your experience what are some common misconceptions about design leadership when you find them how do you address them? The most recent examples that I can give is actually CTOs or CPTOs who think design leadership is actually about creating components in Figma, sketching UIs or they view a user journey as the same thing as a UI flow. So they say that they want someone to come in and lead their design teams but when you actually get down to it and get down to what they want what it means to them is can this person sketch a UI or create a Figma component so their view of design leadership is not what a design team would view as design leadership and some of those people you could take them along on the journey and what I've found is that if it's designers seeking a design leader they know what they want whereas people coming in from a tech view don't really understand what designers want from a design leader So they just go by default of, oh, okay, they create Figma components, they do UI stuff. They don't view that whole thing of what designers need from a leader. So with some of those people, you can actually take them along the journey again and show them. And then there's others that you will never change. And you just have to be okay with that. What advice do you have for aspiring design leaders who are looking for a 
increase their design maturity and make a significant impact in their organization. I think first of all, you need to be humble and you also don't want to become one of those arrogant leaders. Just because you see other people maybe taking that kind of arrogant leadership role, that's not what people want. So just be you, be nice to people. But on top of that, build a tribe around you. And that doesn't have to be a tribe of designers. It has to be a tribe of people who are passionate about solving problems, understanding users and creating great experience. So build that tribe and find that tribe inside your organization. And they are hiding everywhere. So find that tribe and then also align design with business and with tech. All those three things need to come together. But yeah, find your tribe and just be nice to people. That is always good advice. Emma, throughout your career as a design leader, you have had the opportunity to mentor and inspire other designers. So can you share a specific instance where you were able to make a significant impact on someone's professional growth? And can you tell us about how it has influenced your own journey? Yeah, so I think with that one, it's got to be the first designer I ever employed when I have my own company in the UK. And I just have to tell you the story of how I ended up employing her because I will never forget it. So we had over a hundred people apply. And in the advert, I asked applicants to be creative in their response. And I didn't want to see just, I was fed up of getting just links through to portfolios with no cover letter. It was just a link. And I wanted to see their creative flair. And I remember this package arriving one morning at the office and I opened it up and there was this beautiful box inside. And it was all handmade um, out of cardboard. It was all beautifully decorated. And when I opened up the box, there was actually inside the box, somebody had cut out a section of their lawn and there was this beautiful green grass in the middle. And then in the middle of the grass, there was this little signpost that they'd made. And it said on there, from the city to the country, because my agency was outside of London. And hanging from that was a USB stick, which you don't send CVs on anymore. But it was a USB stick and it, the whole thing was branded. And then I opened it up, put it on, and the whole CV was branded the same as the box. And I was like, this is someone who is creative. They've thought about it. They're passionate about design. They get that total experience that you're having. And that I will always remember. So Catherine became my first design employee and it was the most creative CV I've ever received. And it's a shame that that creativity, now everything's digital, because I'm old school, it's kind of been lost a little bit because now you just see all these online portfolios, but I will never forget that tactile CV. And I digress about how beautiful her, her, her thing was. But when I interviewed her and saw her portfolio, it was incredible. You could see that she just loved design and her layouts were great. The way she thought about things, it was absolutely beautiful. But she was really shy. She lacked confidence, but she knew her stuff. She was a great designer. I employed her and as I got to know her, she'd had a really bad experience with her previous um, agency that she worked for. She was treated really badly and that knocked her confidence as well. But we were quite a small agency and I wanted her to grow as a designer. You know, I wanted her to have that confidence. So I took her with me to client meetings, exec lunches, and just got her to understand what happens when you go and see a client and how you talk to them about design and how you talk to them about their business and the problems they're having and how you can solve it for them. And over time, she went from being this like quiet designer who was, wasn't very 
confident to someone who would actually advise clients and she would talk to them about the best approach. She would just take phone calls directly from them. Clients would phone up and only want to speak to Catherine. So she just grew as a designer and her confidence. And then a few years and then not long before I moved to Australia, she left the company. She moved further away of her boyfriend. And now she has her own creative business. Um, so it's called Mill and Flow. So yeah, and she's gone down to that kind of typographic route. So she's taken that. And I think the nicest thing was a few years after she left me, she actually sent me a message thanking me for everything that I taught her and for believing in her as a designer. And I think it's moments like that that just makes you feel really proud. You're like, yes, I've changed someone's life. I've made their design career what they wanted it to be. So that was a great moment for me. And I wouldn't say it's influenced my own journey as a design leader, but it's definitely influenced how I lead people. So letting designers around me to actually grow and flourish, getting allowing them to bring their ideas to the table as well, and encouraging them to just try things out and experiment and giving them that confidence. It's definitely encouraged me to lead more like that. Great. In addition to your expertise in design leadership, you also have experience in running a design agency. How has this entrepreneurial background influenced your approach to design leadership and what value lessons can other designers learn from it? So I guess there's a few things. So first of all, being okay with experimenting and see if something doesn't work. Because when you have your own agency, you've got to try different things out. You can't be the same as other people. You've got to do something different. So trying things out and it may work, it may not. And then I guess throughout my career, this has been a constant. So not letting the naysayers get in my way. So for example, I tried a few business coaches who just didn't understand why I wasn't happy with where I was. I wanted to grow the company bigger. I didn't want to be just a, a me in a design agency. I wanted to grow a design agency. And I had thing advice like they would say things about if you want people to take you more seriously, maybe you should just get some glasses that have not actually real glasses and maybe you should pin your hair up because you've got blonde hair. Pin your hair up and get some fake glasses and then people are taking you more seriously. And this is because I was 25 and they just thought I was a bit young to have these aspirations for an agency. I've always had a lot of people like naysayers. I had naysayers around doing my second book. Some people just wouldn't support me. So you just got to ignore those people and just go ahead because you don't know what's going to happen. So ignore the naysayers. They don't make for a very happy day. And then understanding not only how to run a business, but also how my clients run their businesses as well. So that was something I learned a lot from having my own agency. And especially in the early days, because when I left university, nobody taught me at university how I run an agency, because when you leave university, it's all about this is how you're going to find a job, not this is how you actually run a business and how you do your tax returns and, and how you manage cash flow. Definitely learned a lot of things. And I guess the other thing that has just completely changed my life and my approach to leadership is hanging out with influential entrepreneurs that has completely changed my mindset on how to view the world because they're not as scared of anything they're happy to embrace new things and um, it's helped me to embrace ambiguity try new things see what works and what sticks so definitely hanging out with other entrepreneurs who just have these great ideas and so many of them that I worked with in the early days have just gone on to build these huge organizations and it's just so inspiring to watch them through that process and they also then became my mentors as well and then I would say to other designers is to embrace new opportunities that come your way you never know where it's going to take you and don't be afraid to ask for help either that's my advice yeah it's great advice I think so it's great that you share so much about your learnings because other people can benefit from it we were wondering is there any unconventional platforms or mediums that you are considering to share your expertise and inspire the next generation of designers such as podcasts interactive workshops or maybe immersive experiences nothing unconventional 
channel yet, but you have given me some ideas, so maybe. Um, I am organising a more traditional book launch, which is going to be in July. Although the book's out in June, the physical copies will actually be in Australia in July. And I'm actually going to have a panel discussion where I'm actually going to feature some of the people who are actually in the book. So they will actually be featured. They will actually be on the, the panel discussion. So nothing unconventional yet, but you never know. You, as an author, I'm sure you like to read. What kind of books and authors do you like to recommend for other designers and leaders to read them? I'm actually a really slow reader. I'm very slow at reading. I always have been. My husband could just read a book really quickly and it's really annoying. Whereas I like to just read the whole thing and take it all in. So I actually listen to a lot of audio books and there will eventually be an audio version of my book for those people who are on the move all the time. And I also find because I'm on the move all the time, so I'm always running or walking places. So by running, it means I can actually consume my books while I'm on the go. But when I was interviewing, so I interviewed Andy Plain. He has so much great experience. I interviewed him for my book. And one of the books that he recommended to me, which is why do so many incompetent men become leaders and how to fix it? And that was a really interesting book around some of the things that I've seen in some of the men that I've worked with and their approach to actually getting to the top. And speaking to Andy around that, around some of the things that he's noticed that the traits that females take compared to the traits that males take and how we're actually extremely different in how in our approaches to things. So that book, definitely in terms of how not to do it, is a good one that I recommend that people listen to. But then in terms of design, I'm always just looking all over the place. It depends what, what I'm working on at the time to get inspiration from. So I'm always going to different places at the moment in Brisbane Art and Design Festival. So there was a talk the other week around how we can actually be inclusive with our design. And then today I went to some art classes that they were running. So just finding those different areas for inspiration and going to different talks and things. Great recommendation. Thank you. Guys, we are nearing the end of our episodes. Emma, would you like to give a message for the people who are listening? The message I would like to leave is for everybody, for the designers, well, not even designers listening, as you're going through your leadership journey to embrace the unknown. And it's okay not to be 100% sure and to just make things up as you go along. You just go with the information that you're given and you make the best decision with the information that you have. You can't be 100% right. You just got to go with it. I'd also just like to take this opportunity just to thank all the amazing people who've actually helped me make the book possible. So from the designer tech leaders who shared their personal stories with me, they were okay with me just stalking them on LinkedIn and messaging them saying, would you like to come and talk to me about leadership to go in my book? And just, you know, in those first conversations, just being completely open and honest about their stories. And then my publisher, and my editors, they were just so lovely with me being the particular designer on how I wanted things laid out and how I wanted things to look. Um, and then obviously most of all my husband because he helped me, you know, he supported me through the whole thing because I've been working a lot of late nights and evenings on it. Well, we've, had, we've got two little kids as well. To all the people listening, be okay with not being 100% sure. Uh, Emma, thanks so, so much for sharing all your wisdom and your magnificent energy with us today. If someone listening wants to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Uh, the best place is actually on LinkedIn so if they just search Emma Carter and um, I should come up you should be able to find me that way and just connect to me on LinkedIn
We ended our chat today with Emma Carter, an amazing lady. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have suggestions, questions, or contributions, please contact us on the website, ladiesdaddyux.com. This episode was produced by Ladies.ux, edited by Luciana Borrasca, and sponsored by Deploy.me, recruiters specialized in UX designers.